We're still giving away a box of books to one of our Patreon supporters every week. A different one, by the way, not the same Patreon supporter every week. So if you'd like to find out if you are the winner of a box of books, then just listen all the way to the podcast, and then we'll make the announcement of this week's prize winner. Thanks, Robin. And this is the final episode of Season 4 of Book Shambles. But don't worry, we will still be back with a new episode next week and then every week after that because, uh, let's be honest, the seasons are more a naming and filing structure for me in the studio than they are any sort of uh, indicative of any sort of narrative arc or there's no consistency to how many episodes are in each season either. So don't worry too much about that. But next week on February 2nd, we will be launching the Cosmic Shambles Network, which we've been talking about on recent episodes. Cosmic Shambles is going to be a sort of expansion and coming together of Book Shambles and Cosmic Genome. It's going to be a digital hub for curious people. There'll be lots of new podcasts and documentaries and web series and articles and live events and interviews and all sorts of stuff in our usual sort of shambolic and hopefully amusing way. And all this stuff is going to be brought to you by Robin and Josie, myself, obviously, and lots of our Book Shambles guests and Cosmic Genome contributors. going to be lots of new stuff from those. Uh, Brian Cox and Helen Chersky and Alice Roberts and Alan Moore and Michael Legg and Chris Addison and Bruce Hood and Matt Parker and lots, lots more. So that launches next week on February 2nd on Thursday with lots of new content and we hope it is just going to grow and grow and grow and grow all the way up until the apocalypse, which at this point could be before next Thursday. Who knows? So you can sign up now to the mailing list if you'd like uh, at CosmicShambles.com and on that same day next week it will also mark our 50th episode of Book Shambles. So rather than our regular episode, we'll be having a new 50th birthday special and then after that we'll we'll be launching right into season five so that is very much enough from me let's get into this week's episode with our special guest historian kate williams I've been you and your thumbs you are always if only Hello. people i wish there was just a little bit more of an effect of you just hastily go before everything we ever do together and this is not a complaint i like it you because you represent youth thumb 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 just texting 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 doing a thing playing a game texting texting doing a thing playing a game hello i'm josie long anyway hello welcome to robin and josie's or as i like to think of it josie and robin's book shambles thank you uh, josie is not crocheting today no i'm not i brought it the reason i was crocheting before was i was doing a writing day the day prior to us recording and I found that if I sat and crocheted, I was very good at... I know when I move, it hits the wall. I'm going to move my chessboard. I found that if I sat and crocheted, it was very good for my ideas and my concentration. And I thought, Robin will be pleased because I won't be as bad as normal because I'll be crocheting. But I think it was more or less the same, wasn't it? Never bad. In fact, your thing that you still talk while you're crocheting, you didn't realise when you're talking, you're using your inner monologue. So though you were talking a lot while crocheting, none of us could hear it. It was all murder, murder. <laughs> yeah, it was all bang. Uh, anyway, we're joined by, well, someone who, uh, as well as being a historian, a novelist, uh, and uh, is now also the, you're going to be the chair of the Costa... That's right, that's oh, right. So God. we announced the... Uh, final. It's Kate Williams. Fi- right? Sorry, we, it's me. We announced the Costa Book of the Year at the big Costa Awards ceremony on the thirty first of January, and so obviously that's the big date. But before that, we announced the winner in each category, and that will be announced on the third of January. So we'll have the best children's book, 
the best novel, the best oh, first Jonathan, novel, so you've the done best all the poetry, reading, and then. the best biography. I've done a lot of reading. You've done all that. So I've done how a lot long of reading. does that take? How Because this is the thing we talked about this before with Nat- Natalie Haynes. Uh, did uh, she did the book, the book didn't she? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like to me, I cannot imagine. Anything more... Well, and I can imagine lots more things more joyless. I just started doing it. Like, all manner of tortures and stuff that used to go on. Some still do go on. But that idea... Ah, oh, yeah. That's it. I remember that was... There was a thing called the Scarlet Buccaneer, I think, starring Robert Shaw. And one of the tortures was there was a boy and he had really long fingernails, uh, metal fingernails, and he would scrape them on people's uh, bodies. But no one watches that film crumbs. anymore. Anyway, Robert Shaw's really good. Heavens so, above. by the way, just so you know, uh, this one is going to contain a lot of extraneous sentences because today's recording is during a period of being quite hungover, mm. which is a rarity at my age. But oh, I did... Robin, you went out on the booze. Well, I was doing the, we did the show at Hammersmith, and then I was drinking and uh, with uh, Romeo from Magic Numbers, what a lovely man, and David McColman, who was brilliant. And then David... You know when you lie and you think, why have I just done that? We were talking about art, because he knows a lot about art, as we know sure. from when he's been on this. He's a wonderful and, man, uh, Yes. He? He's fantastic. Well, he suddenly... He, he said, you know, do you know what orthogonal is? And I went, yes. Why did I do that? I did it because I'd been drinking. What's orthogonal? Well, it's kind of involving the vanishing point, as far as well, I know. I have to say, Robin, just keep that in your head, because if you and I ever go on pointless again, that could be a pointless answer. And we don't yet know, by the way, uh, if our pointless episode's gone out. So uh, keep having a look in the listings. It was pretty exciting. It was the equivalent of the car chase in Bullet, but involving questions about ancient temples and monuments. And when we were, obviously, uh, we just put a show for the cameras. When the cameras were on us, we were all nicey-nicey. Sure. As soon as they were off, we were punching each other, saying, yeah. you brought me down, you brought me down. It's your fault, weren't we? I like pulled one games. of John Cooper Clark's legs off. Here's oh. the thing. And sometimes I didn't even call him Dr. John Cooper Clark. <laughs> Here's the thing. I you were on can say I was not on pointless. I was on fifteen to one, and it but it was ages ago, and I won it. I can say I won oh. it. I won twenty five grand. Thank you so 25 much. Twenty five grand. Yes, for charity though. <laughs> I know, right? Wasn't it for your charity? It was though? for my charity, and, and then you embezzled a lot. That, yeah. yeah, that's a prize money. Yeah, twenty five grand. As soon as I got that well in the charity done. bank account, I went on some business class flights. Yeah, I did. I didn't. I'd never ever taken a penny from the charity. Well, well All I do is give to. That's wonderful to raise that much money for charity. I think that's a fantastic thing. Thank well you. Done you. But my strategy for winning fifteen to one was not to be not famous enough so that all the celebrities couldn't nominate me. Because they didn't know my name. And with him was an <laughs> ah. angel of death. And she kept, like, she took out Johnny Vegas. Ah. She took out Marcus Brutal. She I was like, like, bang, bang, bang. She looked at me and she was just like, who is this scruffy person? She shouldn't be here. Moved on to someone else. Really? And then I just bide, bid, bud, bided your bid time. my time. Bided, bided your time? Yeah, bided your time. Bided my time and then pow, took her out. Kicked in and like then a in tiger the final, booster, Joe. I mean, that I feel is just, you know, they, you... I think that was you're that secret weapon. So yeah. you're, you're like you're I was like, very cheery. You're like that sort of scruffy woman dressed as a schoolmistress in a in a as in a, in, a, in the Second World War. Who oh, no yeah. one recognised her, but she was really this amazing sex Spy. goddess ha! double agent who, imme- who would immediately whip off her glasses after being a schoolmistress and say, "I'm here to rescue." So you're kind in of French. Like, it, yeah, you were you were and then it was like it, it, you. So you basically were Clark Kent. Yeah, I, and I was very much the Clark Kent of fifteen to one. Thank you very much. So you're kind of, I, I, would like I can't believe you the... that you're Clark Kent because you're not. You're, you're not scruffy no or anything like that. I am like scruffy, that. but I, no glasses. 
that's how normal day life you would never suspect. But so you guys, that's my one thing that if if, if I you, if we go on, if we go again. on, we'll know. We'll, Rob, Rob and I will turn up looking like looking rather than looking like a pair of sort of uh, Hollywood superstars as we tend yeah. to do. We'll turn up looking like like I am like a like a I'm like a university professor as I normally do. Well, also if you could try and like, you're going to have to be less known than you are now. No, I'm. No one knows and, you. Mia. Oh, this was my other key strategy. Everyone knows you, Robin. You have to seem very excited and pleased to be there. Oh my because God, then, I'm, on the, I'm on the telly, I'm yeah. on the telly, I'm on the telly, like that. Exactly, because then people sympathise with you oh. and they don't want to kick you off. So I was genuinely... Yeah, but Anne Widdicombe doesn't do sympathy. No, she? the angel of death. But people like John Colshaw, John Colshaw was going to nominate me, but he could see how excited oh, I was and he changed man, his mind. He's really yeah. a lovely man, John. He changed his mind, yeah. he couldn't bear to. So you, you really, like kicking a puppy. So Good you really were like the, like the behind Evil. lines... You know, the secret double agent spy because mm-hmm. you someone someone came to betray you. So one of the officers came to betray you, and he said, "This is just a cute little schoolmistress. I'll leave her alone." But really, under it all, you were radioing all the secrets. Yeah, back, back to France, back. free French, not yeah. fishy France. Do I see it? As you being are the resistance. Like <laughs> I was there only once. Marta Hari versus Fungus the Bogeyman. That's perfect. That's yeah. what I think it is. Marta Bogeyman. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're Marta Hari. So and what is, is utter? Uh, orthogonal Maybe apparently is that it is a vanishing point. So it's the, it it it's the uh, um, so I'm trying to think. This is the film, the vanishing point. Um, is it the point where? Well, I haven't found out. I'm going to find out on Tuesday. We're going to go to an abstract expressionistic thing, and he's going to explain is. it to me. But Comes. why did I say it's like that time that I said that I'd read? You know, David Foster Wallace. Who did you say that, that to? Yeah, some bloke on the train. I was only reading the essays. And then he says, oh, I presume you... Yeah. And I said, yes. And I thought, why did I say that? And he said, isn't the scene in the garage great? And I went, yeah, it goes on for a really long time, doesn't it? So I thought that'd be a good guess. And he went, yeah, it does, doesn't it? And then I went, oh, look, I've got to get off now. So then I had to get off early. And then pick up another... Yeah, but wait for another train to Southampton. (laughs) Then I got to Southampton and realised I didn't need to be there. Do you know something? I never taught to Southampton or Portsmouth. And I feel bad. I don't know why, but I've never been to either of them Mm. on tour. It's nice. There's some nice places in Southampton. Where was the other one you haven't been to? Portsmouth. Yeah, no, I, I don't know what, what there is to do in Portsmouth. I've done it with Brian. Anyway, so, um, so orthogonal. All I wanted to say was that I lie there's a lot. like Nelson's Victory. What's that? The ship? Nelson's ship. Yeah, there's Mary Rose. Is, is this, that what, the, this Portsmouth? Yes. Hang on, is Mary Rose... No, I'm thinking of the Mary Celeste. I was like, has it all still got yeah. the dinner on it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no dinner on the Mary Rose. We've really chewed, there's some Tudor rotting dinner on there. Just an old dead potato. Yeah. There's right. a creationist is... museum. Oh yes. Which I the think is only open zoo. like Wednesday afternoons, and you have to top floor buzzer. Top floor buzzer for top creationism. Ring mm. twice. Um, Costa book prize then. Yes. So oh, you've that's actually what we were about. you've only so just sorry. announced. Uh, that you're chair of it. Yes. So did you know you would be chair of it uh, from the start or do they basically, everyone reads all the books and then someone has to, then the decision. Well, my main job is chairing the decision about the book of the year. So the the focus is which of the category books, uh, biography, children's books, first novel, um, 
first novel, novel and, and poetry is going to be our book of the year. But I have read all the books and it just means that the DHL man really does not like me whatsoever because he, there's just gigantic boxes of books everywhere. And it, it's it's obviously been amazing to read so many books. It's an incredible privilege. I'm just thrilled to be asked and it, it just to receive all these wonderful books and, and see, see so much, these huge box of books and of these fantastic books being published in Britain and Ireland today, which really shows us, I think, how vibrant and how exciting and how forward forward our, pu- our publishing publishing is in this country. Well, I can I ask you about this? Is very rarely do you see books that might be in the kind of imaginative fiction genre, which sometimes you might call science fiction. You don't really seem to see those winning prizes, and yet there would be. Authors and 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 critics, and I think I think of when when people like Kingsley Amis and J.G. Ballard were saying some of the most exciting things are not these novels about. Uh, I realised that my mother was ill and my father had dementia, and then a lot of things happened. Well, actually, nothing happened, but over an enormous number of pages. <laughs> that some of the ones which are actually packed with strange dystopian events are still seen as, for some reason, being pulpish and a little bit kind of low rent for the literary prizes. Well, I'm not, I, no, I mean, I don't think I agree with that. I mean, obviously my other half, who you know well, is a science fiction editor, so I'm very familiar with the genre and read a lot of them. And I think there's a lot of incredibly exciting work being done in SF, being done in, and fantasy as well. I think there's a lot of new, exciting work being done with them. And I think uh, what where... where, where and we might suggest that where fantasy and SF score much higher than, say, the literary novel is film adaptations, because, of course, Game of Thrones is perhaps the biggest book adaptation we have ever seen. It's so impactful that lots of other films become more like Game of Thrones. And we've, I mean, Passengers is just out. I think it's the big Christmas SF film. There's been lots of uh, ambiguous ambiguous reviews. But but yes, Rogue One and and, and Star Wars out just today, just this week we were recording. So I do think there is a lot of fascination with with all I mean I think what's fascinating what's brilliant about about Britain and British reading is how so many of us read what you might say is the, the family fiction the dementia fiction that you were suggesting there and also we read SF we read horror we read we read children's books we read YA and I do I mean I do think uh, we are we are great readers in this why country why doesn't no, but why doesn't that I I might be wrong about this you know someone like Margaret Atwood would I think be one of the authors who seems to have been both accepted as you know a literary author a serious and, writer yes yeah, serious writer brilliant writer and also playing with ideas of of kind of images of the future and something yeah. which i think will be science fiction but overall and again you may well tell me oh no they've won loads of prizes cloud atlas one i'm obviously it's on the top of my head here but didn't cloud atlas won a mass when the book prize we've got to find out we've got a little screen i don't think it won the booker prize but i think it's definitely it was something it was i mean cloud atlas is obviously an incredible book and mm. large sections of that are heavily SF with Sonmi yeah. which is this ama- Sonmi the amazing character who I have to say is always in, very often in my mind that she's this she's this sort of robot droid that, that feeds on soap and in the society where they live she works in the equivalent of a fast food restaurant and then when, when they, they it's, a, it's, a, it's a dictatorship and what they do is they go and people go and watch some, some people doing they go and watch a gymnastic show to distract themselves and the fact that it's a dictatorship so I think that there are a lot of, a lot of uh, SF and authors who do win the prize and I think Dave, David Mitchell is an example as you say Margaret Atwood and a lot of people who dabble in SF do, do come to win the prize as well so I think I, I 
I would say that I think there's a there's a strong representation of both, and I think it is in the end about the about 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 the book. Well, in fact, the other day I saw a lovely copy of uh, Man in the High Castle, first uh, Galant's hardback edition that's in exciting. Cecil Court. They haven't oh, got, it's, tempted. Yeah, but oh. they don't. Oh. It I'm is sorry. that that's, has anyone seen the Man in the High Castle uh, TV series? Yes. yes. And can I find out your? Because I do you want to know my opinions. I didn't go for it, but I thought. And I'm sorry to sound critical. I thought the plot arc dwindled too early in the series. I was really, really... I was sort of enjoying it, but, like, not wildly committed to it. This sounds harsh, but, like... But I felt, like, near the end of it, it's slightly... I was, like... I wanted to imagine the writer's room where they'd done all the episodes and all the plot arcs and stuff, and I wanted someone to be, like, episode seven or eight or whatever it is. Just needs a tweak, guys. But I like the, the the very ending of the whole series. Is good. Mm. What did you think? I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was very inventively created. I think that Rip Everett was great. I thought. I, I mean, I thought that the. I mean, I love the book. I, yeah. I think the official title for someone who loves is a dickhead because you're a Philip K. <laughs> Dick yeah. lover. So you lo- I love the book, and what's what? And of course, what's fascinating, I think, is that in the book, it's it's a it, in in the Philip K. Dick book, it's a book that's the thing we all have to be scared of. Whereas in the TV show. It's a film that yeah. has the that everyone's talking about and smuggling. But I think I think I I I, I think it's brilliant that uh, TV is taking on such massively expensive projects. I think it, I mean it's a bit like The Crown, which has just been on Netflix, hundred million on on this huge on this huge TV show. And I think that this this this, this big storytelling and that is is only to be welcomed. I think. Yeah. Although well, I'm not going to is... watch The Crown for political reasons. Tom, <laughs> watching that royalist puff piece. I was in America. <laughs> There's a Medici's on as well, which perhaps is a lot. Yeah, I'd rather have that. Yeah, more Borgias as yeah. well. Let's have more Borgias. <laughs> I'd have Borgias over the Borgias Crown. over the Windsors. At least the Borgias, you know, actually were a bit more. Earthy. Well, maybe it's the Windsors, but then there's a wormhole, and some of the Borgias get into Buckingham Palace, oh, right? And they kill all it. the Windsors, oh. and they pretend to be the Windsors, but underneath it all, they still behave in a Borgia-ish way. Borgia. That, to me, has HBO or Netflix written all over it. But here's the thing with the Crown. Firstly, everyone in America seems to love it, and they don't appreciate that, like Downton Abbey, I cannot watch it for class reasons because it is too depressing to watch this thing that's like look at these people who own all of the country and will never ever ever be anything other than a million times more privileged than everyone but also my friend was describing it and basically what happens in every episode is she goes I'm going to do things my own way and then at the end of the episode she goes I'm not going to do things my own way and that's it sorry I'm being rude about it do you but find I don't care. The, well, the one I'd like to see is they. There were two films made before the royal wedding, the Princess Diana, Prince Charles royal wedding, and one of them, Christopher Lee, played Prince Philip. <gasps> what film was that? It was just called something like the Royal Wedding, because there was so much. So the two TV movies there. There's also an amazing one about Princess Diana that used to get shown on Channel Five in afternoons, which is a very, very low budget one about the like kind of the last few months of her life. And it's it's nearly as good as the Rock Hudson biopic as well, which is, you know, that one where you're going, hmm, not merely fast and loose with the truth. You can't actually be that fast and loose because you haven't got the money to be fast and loose. Just kind of sluggish near a pool with someone pretending to be Dodie Fire. Very odd. It's, it's amazing, though, because my students can't remember D- Dinah's death. Whoa. They were born after it. Whoa. And it's amazing because for us, it's... it's Seismic. It, it was, you know where you were... I do. ...when you heard that Diana was dead and I remember going into 
Birmingham station on the way home and some of the newspapers were behind and they said Diana injured in a crash. By that point, the news had come through on the radio that she was dead. And yet to them, it's it's pure history. I had, I had some students come up to me and they said um, they were doing their dissertation. They said, um, we're doing our dissertation. It's a kind of living history. I wanted to ask you, Professor, uh, what was life like in the 90s? Oh my God! Did you just say it was better? It was I said better there were no mobile phones. We spent the whole time looking for each other. <laughs> That's true. Where are you? I used to do this thing where we memorised all the numbers of the phone boxes in Charing Cross, and so if we oh, were late to meet our friends, that so that so we always used well, to like, meet at Charing oh, the Cross. Fo- oh, the phone! Oh, the phone numbers. The phone number of the phone I box, see. not the numbers of the people who had the cards oh. in them. No, uh, no. So, so I, th- I think there was a bit. Of- <laughs> so then, I thought maybe they had individual. I, I thought I'd, I discovered something new about London that they had individual numbers. Like yeah, an, in the, so we would I learn mean, the number yeah. of the phone box. So you could, we'd ring. call the phone boxes and I'd say, oh, hi, oh. I'm late to meet my friend. Oh. She's 14 years old. She looks like this. She's on the station. Can you get her for me? And then the person would go off and find them and then they would come and answer the phone. And I'd be like, sorry, Tasha, I'm late. Can I just check? This wasn't wow. one of your prank calls because we did a show a while ago where you started talking about rude and unpleasant prank calls that helped spoil people's lives. Okay, that's really an exaggeration. And I couldn't do them anyway. But yeah, no, we used to do that because we there was no way of contacting people otherwise. So we just do that. Or if someone was late, you just, just wait. wait for an hour. You just and a half. wait. You just I'm just sitting around outside Birmingham shopping centres, just waiting for someone to turn up. And then one, then then someone had gone, popped off somewhere, and they just wait for them to come, for, to come back. I mean, how do adolescents pass their life these days? They never have now, a minute now wasted. They, they they don't. Yeah, they don't look for each other. They're not. What do they do in nightclubs when we were just wandering around looking for each other for hours? And also, that is genuinely fun because that's a way to meet boys. Yeah, I'm looking for my boys. friend. Have you seen her? Yeah. What do they do? Do they? Te- I think they. Te- I think they take selfies. That's what they do. That's all they do. Sorry, that sounds wow, like an old. You two that's sound. all they do. Like the oldest one that's in the I room. Do. Listen to you two banging on like. Let's stuck take on a selfie bench. now. Yeah. The, I um, take quite a lot of selfies. I do. To be fair. I do. The um on the, that thing about history, I think, in terms of how recent history is that bit where like films from nineteen seventy five, say, when I was growing up, they were like really modern films. Wow. Whereas now, if I watch a film nineteen seventy five with my son, I realise that's the equivalent of watching a film with my dad that was made in nineteen thirty five. You know no. that bit where you do the flip back of it, so you fold back your no. age. Oh my yeah. gosh! So that's like, and is I've been really? buying. My wow. son loves beanos and dandies. So I buy them, and Wizard and Chips actually is a favourite. I love Wizard and uh, Chips. Haven't found a Buster annual yet. A little bit disappointed. No Buster annuals. And um, so I got him a, a dandy from 1972, Dandy and I suddenly realised again that's like when my dad gave me a, a, some old book from 1934. Wow. And so for them, what I mean, the, the difficult thing with Beano's and Dandies is just going. Let's just ch- oh, this one had that character in ah. Uh, Culturally, well, culturally, things may be going backwards now, but certainly for me personally, the, like the, the one strip in the dandy I got with him, where people black up for this competition. What? Oh, Christ. Now, What's it's, the competition? It's a competition oh, about no. blacking up. And oh, God, no, it's, it's some awful. kind of oh, talent contest or whatever. I can't remember. And that's of course, to, and I looked and I thought, actually, we can just, because all my son will see is going, what is this? Whereas when I was growing up, black and white minstrels still existed. So whether you liked it or not, you would culturally know what was going on mm. when someone stuck shoe polish on their faces. Oh, no. Whereas my son's going, wanna... why are they why putting are they shoe polish that? on their face? You and don't want to introduce go, him to it. Yeah. Whereas if you go back to the 1950s, then it just some of the titles of the characters are best left alone. And so we've drawn the line at 1972. <laughs> that seems to be the best. So go on to historical novels. And well, let's talk about adaptations. Could you um, pour me some water, please? Yeah, of course I can. I'm sorry. Um, 
going on to when you watch an adaptation uh, of a historical novel, and I presume you watch it in a different way to a lot because it, it's your world. In the same way as if we watch something about stand-up, you uh, are, are different. How important? Well, first of all, how fast and loose do you think you can play with history itself? Are you? I know people love writing and going it's rather amusing because uh, the lamp they had was actually uh, invented in eighteen seventy-two. This is set in eighteen fifty-six. Not those kind of things. I quite like people that have that ability. Like anyone that has that knowledge base that can be that specific, I have to be in admiration of. I was watching Poldark the other day, and uh, rather foolish, but uh, halfway through, Poldark's driving a Volvo. What? Well, that is a big mistake. No, fair enough. But uh, when you watch it, are you? Do you think your your critical faculties are tuned in a different way? Well, I'm a novelist as well, so um, I write historical fiction and historical fact. So I write things that are all fact and things that are all made up. And I'm I have to say that I think that what's most important in a film or a drama is the story. And sometimes a bio, a, someone's biography is not, uh, you know, for a start, it's far too long. Your life is far too long. So there are always going to be things that are altered and changed. And to me, I think it's, I, I do, I'm not one of those historians who sit there nitpicking, saying this is wrong and that's wrong and this is wrong and that's wrong. Because I think that, uh, say, for example, things like Dallas Buyers Club, um, which is an amazing film and is a very recent history. But when you look at the truth of the character, uh, the J-Red uh, Leto, I think it is, his, his mm-hmm. sidekick, yeah. he didn't exist. And also um, in the film, he's, he's intensely heterosexual and he's homophobic and has to learn to be... And, and it, you know, in, a, in every Hollywood film, a character has a journey. So in the film, McConaughey, McConaughey has to learn to be less homophobic, to be uh, a reasonable... Uh, to be, to, 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 uh, and to accept both his disease and also accept that, that he is now in a community with people who he would have been very anti before. Uh, but yet that doesn't reflect the reality of the man who, uh, number one, didn't have a... Jared Leto, but also uh, probably was bisexual, anyways, uh, and uh, so it, so, so I, but, but, it, but it works in that very much that American setup in that you have a film which is about a pioneer and a pioneer man, and that you, you often have to have a sidekick in, and I think if we want to make stories based on fact, then sometimes we have to make changes to, incorp- to to reflect the fact that it's an hour and a half or that, say, for example, that a lot of the things things in a film need to be dramatised, uh, that in, in, in a novel you can show, or a biography, you can show someone thinking, but they, 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 there's nothing more boring in a film than watching people writing letters back and forth to each other. That right. that, that needs to be, to be, to be dramatised. And so, I, I, I mean, I... I love historical drama, I, and I think it, I think oh, so it brings just, people. Before to, we move on, brings go, people go to the to history. That, because I just want to stop on the Dallas Buyers Club thing, which is: which is, is there an issue though with that? Some people, once a film has been made, in the same way that Coronation Street characters who are evil have people sometimes shouting abuse at them, some people will believe the history. So actually a film, if that becomes the mm. biggest... So I know that with Dallas Buyers Club, one of the biggest uh, issues when it came out was groups of gay men saying, it now looks like this is the history. A straight guy did all this stuff. Huh. And in fact, there were a lot of groups yeah, of gay men of who were doing, doing that, that and that they felt that therefore some of their what history is- had been... Sorry. Now, for that kind of thing, 
is is that a problem? Because my 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 I love debating this with students because I teach public history and we talk a lot about history in museums and history and exhibitions and I'm beginning to think a lot about history and industry and it it's the most it's it which is the most brilliant debate we have as a class in my MA because everyone has very different views on one hand on one hand they say but the history needs to be completely right otherwise it is wrong and for example as you say in Dallas Buyers Club there are whole not only there are whole groups of people who who say why is this being made into a heterosexual man's story when it wasn't like that mm-hmm. and it's being made up and it's being invented and it's being imposed on and does that make him make it more Oscar worthy why why is it does it make it more Oscar I mean you obviously have this complex question is it more Oscar worthy because it's about a man who is initially heterosexual and has this change, he, um, change when he become when he gets rid of his homophobic uh, beliefs, and I, so I, I mean, I think it's 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 the most fascinating question of public history is where do we stop and start with the fiction and the fact, and of course. The problem is with writing pure fact is there are some things you just simply can't know. So my first book about Emma Hamilton, uh, she uh, was this Nelson's mistress, this glamorous woman, married Sir William Hamilton. And on her way back from marrying Sir William Hamilton, which is a pretty much a coup from a woman who came from the absolute bottom of society and the current fantastic National Maritime Exhibition explains it all. And she was a, a dancer and really at the bottom and she marries this great aristocrat. On the way back, she meets... Marie Antoinette. She goes to visit Marie Antoinette huh. in Paris, and it is, it's after it's 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 Marie Antoinette is just under house arrest. So it's before they try and escape from house arrest in that amazing story where they dress up as servants and everyone guesses who they are. Huh. So it's before she tries to escape, and after after they try and escape, they're put under very basically in prison. No one can see them apart from the jailer. Before that, it's more flexible. People can go and see them, but no one records it. And Emma is one of the few outsiders of, of French society to go and see her, wow. and it's. So annoying because all she writes is, I went to see Marie Antoinette in Paris and we talked. It's the most annoying thing oh, you can possibly say. I know. Never what did she look like? What did she say? Was she afraid? Did she talk about the escape? But this what, what? is where it's so annoying. And every publisher who ever I handed that document, my manuscript in, wrote, More here. And you're sorry. I know there should be more. I know there should be more, <laughs> but that just didn't tell me. So it is very. What's what? What is what? What drives you wild as a factual writer is, and then Emma Hamilton, she'll write on pages and pages about what she thinks of the sublime mountains of so and so on the way home. Yeah, I but don't this care makes loads about of sense the lake. to me. I don't care about the lake. I don't want to know about the lake. I don't want to know about the mountains. I just want to know about Marianne. About the world events. But it's so interesting now that you know. No, I write a diary. Every now and again. You'd write about Marianne. If you met no. Marianne Antoinette, you would tell me. But you'd write about it. No, I've been writing it, you know, on and off since I, I know, was... No, you... Forever. You, you right? know, no, jealousy. no, because I write it at the end of the night most of the time, and I write it very sporadically, and it's usually if I'm a bit lonely, or if I'm on a plane and I've got nothing else I can do, or if I'm sort of feeling... So lots of it is either about, like, whether or not I think I'm eating well... Or, like, whether or not I feel tired and lonely. And I've definitely had it where I've looked back and I've been like, that was the day when I did this gig with this person, this person and this person. And I don't mention it. And instead, I've written a paragraph and a half about a boy I was seeing at the time and whether or not I thought he was treating me. Like, people definitely, you can't rely on people's own I, journals. I do. I reckon bollocks? if you met Marianne Antoinette in prison that you would have mentioned, you would have said she this looked, maybe looked said. a bit tired or something, something better than Emma Hamilton did. No, if I was Emma Hamilton, I'd have said, went to meet Marie Antoinette. 
And then on the way there, lunch. one of my ankles hurt. And I kept thinking, oh, God, is this what it means to be 34, that one of my ankles is going to continually hurt? These are the lunches <laughs> I had. It was in France. You know, and, and the best that you'd hope is that I would write, I would underline I Marie Antoinette because I'd know that was an important person. Because also, like, di- diaries really are just about you, really. Mm. So they're terrible. <laughs> yes. That's why so I think she... blog posts are useful because I write, I try and write one almost daily, mm. especially if I go and see something or I you read. You should see his one about and, Marie Antoinette. And I, yeah, my <laughs> Marie Antoinette one is a lot of detail there. She told and me she's going to try and escape. Yeah. <laughs> but oh God, it must be so. A crest. But this is why we shouldn't have monarchs because they wouldn't, they haven't educated their servants properly because they're such assholes. And if their servants have been properly educated, their servants would have been writing secret tomes. It is interesting. I mean, and, and, uh, when you write about even about something minor like 18th century travel, everyone drones on about the sublime mountains and they've covered it all from Goethe. What huh. you want to know is what are the inns like, what are the roads mm. like. And, and, and when you read travel writing now, when you, you read, say, if you buy a newspaper, read a travel article, all about the beautiful beaches and this and that. And I'm sure the historians of the future will want to know, but what's it like at, at, at Luton Airport? Yes. What's the queue like at the EasyJet desk? And none of us mention it. I mean, yes, I, I don't know, none of us mention what the experience of going through Luton Airport is like, partly because... It's we, the worst. But we can't, we can't oh, bear the... I mentioned what it was like sitting in Heathrow for I five know, hours when I didn't know, have my Canadian immigration Robin, documents. I know. Just oh, I know. I felt, I'd be on Twitter, every that was heartbreaking. detail of every nasty... Acrylic chair. Um, but that, but that, so you but, write blog posts. Sorry, but, 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 that, but, that, but that's it. But that to me, it, uh, you get from social media. But that to me is, is, is would be a fascinating source because I think historians of the future would find the fact that you couldn't get into Canada two days after the election, of in which the immigration website to Canada had crashed, would be would be a great source for the sixteen year olds. Uh, in 100 years' time to study. Robinins couldn't get into Canada and, and the reasons why. And yet, if it hadn't been for your Twitter, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't necessarily have told us all about it. And I but think that's I, the thing about, about with the blog post compared to a diary. Is a blog, you can't be... I mean, some people are very personal on social media and I sometimes worry. You know that bit where you go, these are things that not, I'm not sure sharing in a public space in this way are as useful as you finding someone and talking to them mm-hmm. about this. Um, so, well, I wanted to mention, because you talked a little bit of letters as well, in terms of diaries that you've read, what are the... I mean, I, I enjoy diaries. I, I reread Kenneth Williams' one kind of about once a year, and, and Joe Orton's is, of course, one of the most famous, or certainly was in the, in the, the mid to late 80s, very famous diary. What are the ones that you find have given you the most insight into a world well as she's as Josie was suggesting about about servants what we all want as historians what we really want the holy grail is the working class diary of the 18th century we want the servant we want the prostitute or the high class courtesan that's what we want and that's what everyone wants but of course number one was literacy was so low that literacy was defined as as being able to sign your wedding certificate which is pretty much what a six-year-old could do now and number two female literacy was even lower but also in terms of the, as you say about the class structure these people were told that they're lives weren't interesting that they weren't significant and it isn't really until you get to the first world war that people you start to really begin to hear the working class voice not only due to um, oral history collection but also due to uh, rising literacy and people working class soldiers they they they're living through the biggest conflagration in 
ha- times and they think it's never going to happen again. So that the, the, I dream. My biggest dream is the is the servants dying. And I, and I think it's. I don't know whether we. But this is like I when I did my degree, my favourite thing was eighteenth. Uh, 18- Century literary hoaxes like Thomas Chatterton. And Elsian, yes. And like, yeah, like, basically, if you don't know, Thomas Chatterton was this boy, he was an apprentice, and he, like, he himself was a really interesting guy because he was a working class guy who was apprenticed to a joiner somewhere in Bristol, and he had very, like, high ambitions. He wanted to write, he wanted to do all kinds of things. He was very bored, and he started sending his poetry to Walpole. Henry Walpole, was it? Mm-hmm. One of the Walpoles. Horace Walpole, Horace Walpole, Walpole maybe. Yeah. And the fathers was, of course, like, collecting old stuff. So he sent the poems to Walpole, and Walpole was like, nah, I don't care. And then he was like, oh, thanks anyway. Oh, by the way, I found all these ancient manuscripts. And then Walpole was like, hello, this sounds great. <laughs> Hello. Yes. So then all the manuscripts were really successful, but he just invented them. And then when when that was found out, instead of going, oh, my God, this child is incredible. They've invented an amazing, like, body of work that's, like, exciting and strange. Like, what a genius. He was like, you should be ashamed of yourself. And then he commits suicide. It's like the tragic Tragic. tale. Yeah, I love all that stuff. Do you know loads of ones well, that, like that? It's the Hitler Diaries as well, wasn't there? Um, the Hitler Diaries were that was the eighties, I think, wasn't yeah, it? it the, was. the, the Hitler Diaries. Hugh, Hugh Trevor Roper, the great historian, the great he he actually how did as, you find them? Assented to the legitimacy. No, he, was, he was given them. He was given them. Are was these it, correct? Was it the Convoi der Spiegel or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was the, someone the, in the... Germany found them and said these are Hitler's diaries. Which of oh. course, that's what what you you don't get as a as a historian when you're reading documents uh, and you don't you don't get that insight into the inner workings of someone's mind which which in in fiction you have to show sure. and so that the the hitler diaries were this i mean imagine finding the hitler diaries that would transform 20th century history and so it was i think you're right i think someone gave them to der spiegel and huge of europa was one of the, the germanic uh, specialists who was asked to assent to their legitimacy and and they were so good that he he believed them and it, it was difficult for his career after who that did it? who did it <laughs> they made a film called selling hitler with alexi sale Alexis that, Sale did it. Yeah, it was Alexis Sale all along. It's just after he'd done the great bus journeys of the world. I'd never suspect. Um, yeah, every now and again there'd be a little bit of kind of, you know, Marxist parody and a mention of a Ford Cortina, which gave it away slightly as not being Hitler's. Um, <laughs> the, uh, that's, that's, but it's amazing, isn't it? You just think now, you know, no, we haven't had a diary hoax for quite a long no. time, but we're not, what we're, there could be a... Oh, it was Stern. Sixty But that's an interesting. So, because, so, nine, so they were purchased in 1983 for 3.7 million dollars, and um, and because because it we what we want is the diary. We the diary of Stalin, the diary of Hitler, the diary of um, Pol Pot, the diary. And I mean, we Elizabeth II has kept a diary every day of her life, but we will never. It's, it's hundred it's years after her, her death. So, so we're never going to well, see it. So. You can yeah, get a book called uh, from our home planet. So. Uh, <laughs> um, I like that you guys just didn't come along with me there. <laughs> no, it's just because I was thinking of Hitler's Table Talk, which is a book that I bought a while ago, what? which is basically uh, someone just used to record Hitler at dinner, just chatting about oh, plans he had. That's again, that's how they found out that Lord Rothermere, who owned the Daily Mail and whose descendants still own the Daily Mail, that's right, isn't it? Was still open, on the lizards here, are we? He was still, no, Lord Rothermere supported Hitler. Until 1942. 
like it came from recordings of Hitler, where Hitler said, "Oh, of course, it, that guy loves me." We yeah. were chatting the other day. But it's very interesting how um, we blame Chamberlain for appeasement, but when you look at the actual history, there were so many organisations behind Chamberlain's. Um, mm. But because a first war, the first world war had been so recent, so it mm. wasn't just so appeasement was actually a very popular policy. The church agreed with it, the industrialists agreed with it, many members of the army agreed with it because simply they they couldn't face war? another war. And Churchill uh, was this mad lone voice for, for some of it. So we, but I think we like to kind of skate over that part mm. of our history. That uh, that for me, because I mean, imagine if we'd gone through the First World War and then really in the, in the same generation, you, you, as a father, you've been in the First World War and now you know that your son's oh, going to go yeah. as well. And you you were, you were told in the First World War that this is. This is it's it's going to be a short, sharp chop. We now have technology. It's not going to be like it used to be in the Victorian wars, but it's actually trench warfare actually makes things things worse. So so, but uh, but I mean, it's uh it's it's certainly trying the. I but mean, the, the Daily Mail was like openly supporting British fascists and had tacit support for Hitler as well. So they're worse. They're not as they're not like oh chill out. They're like guys. In the First World War, um, when because it's very interesting because Germans were our friends throughout the 19th century. They were the, they are Protestant chums in a Catholic Europe. So all the royals married Germans, apart from Edward the Seventh, who or Victoria didn't decree that any of the German princesses were pretty enough. So he huh. married married her off to um, Alexandra of Denmark, who was both beautiful and deaf. So they hoped that he, she wouldn't hear about his affairs. And huh. they were always our friends. And then overnight, pretty much overnight, before the uh, First World War. Um, Germans are suddenly the enemy, and they were. We might say that a lot of them were in Britain economically. They were tutors, they were butchers, they were musicians, and they were the best waiters. So the best waiters were Germans. All the top hotels of London used waiters, and they immediately had to fire them. And one of the oh best uh, headlines in the Daily Mail was: "If your waiter is Swiss, says he's Swiss, ask to check his passport." Oh God! But, this, that's bleak. but, but it, then this is like John McLean in um, in Glasgow on the eve of the First World War, shouting solidarity, no victory to the German workers to try and be really sort of because the whole point was like, you know, the only the only war worth fighting for is war against oppression, and like this is all this is going to do is slaughter people. Well, it's interesting. Of the but, lower classes well, for, the, for the upper classes, of course. What what, what was coming? What were the big two hot potatoes before First World War was female suffrage. And uh, Ireland and the liberation of Ireland, and they were the massive hot potatoes. But they could abandon both of them and say, "Sorry, they've got to go on the back burner now. We've got to focus on the war." It's like shock doctrine. It's like proto shock doctrine of like we've got this big crisis. Sorry, so we can't sorry, do sorry, women. And so and and um, the, the suffragettes had really little choice but to say, "Okay, we're going to devote ourselves to the war effort. Yeah. Uh, we have we have really no choice." But and in the German, yeah, they, you know, the rules the Germans had, they weren't allowed to own in. in 1914 they weren't they were given two weeks to get pretty much about two weeks to get home but it was so expensive they couldn't ever go and many of them were married to british people they couldn't have motorbikes they couldn't have cars uh, they had to sign in with a with a you know be, to be checked on and they couldn't go anywhere near the coast because the coast was seen as so heavily protected and and uh <laughs> four years yeah and one of my favorite stories is that uh um uh ralph vaughan, ralph vaughan williams was uh Wandering around the cliffs of Margate, as wise one would, he he could in uh, in the period in the First World War, and he suddenly had this amazing idea for this music of this bird going up, and he thought it would be really nice. So he sat down and suddenly started 
writing, the lark ascending. He was so excited. But then a Boy Scout spotted him and arrested him. He arrested him for drawing out the defences of Britain and took him back to um, to the police station. And, but, I mean, fortunately for us... That, Little jobs were. I know, well, I, I know, exactly. Citizens' arrest. Uh, luckily for us, it, 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 Coleridge got a knock on the door in the middle of the man from Porlock and, and Kublai Khan and forgot it for the rest of the time. But luckily, Vaughan Williams still had it in his head after the traumatic experience well, of being arrested know, by though. a boy scout. Wow. Because when you... That story that happened uh, a little bit earlier um, last year where there was uh, someone, I think an economist, on a plane and just doing mm. some equations mm. and then someone went, I don't know what that guy's doing with his pen oh, and the yeah. shapes of those words yeah. look like they're terrorist words. So it's good to know you can go back at least as far as Lark Ascending that people looking at um, semi-quavers, etc., were also thinking that there may well be... Uh, secret, well, delightful, secret, secret. secret, delightful pastoral code. Yes, anyone's the lark ascending, minims and bests. But then I suppose you're right. Like you, like if you were a child who didn't know music, you might be like, "This is obviously a code, a code, signalling, signalling." But and it, 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 you, you, you do think that the spy fever became so obsessive. So the last person executed within the Tower of London was the Earl of Essex, Elizabeth I's favourite, for breaking into her bedroom when she hadn't yet got the makeup on, which of course is a. Is well, a, that's what he did. He well, saw her without her makeup on, and she was like, "That's it." Well, he would. Everyone I've been out with would have to go under the. Did you? It was, it, was actually, it was actually discussed in the 18th century that if a, woman, a, a man could divorce a woman if he felt he'd been taken in by makeup. Oh, Jesus. If next morning, without. Talk being... about victim blaming, eh? <laughs> That's in that book, Seeks to Pick uh, picking Up Sexy Girls. Remember that book we used to read in the book club uh, shows? Yeah. Secrets and of Picking Up Sexy it's Girls. It's a very funny book from 1975. No ISBN, technically illegal, probably. <laughs> and, uh, so and it... they peak at 25, women peak at 25, yeah. and after that, they were attractiveness. Swiftly ebbs. Yeah, it's uh, the whole thing about uh, uh, when it, it says, what's it, sexy girls? It says uh, zero to 16. We are not particularly interested in this group oh, for mainly legal reasons. Mm. And well, from God, that thank point... Thank they knew... They, they, that, 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 in the 70s, lots of people didn't really realise that. Oh, God. Going. It's insane. And then it has different ways of working out if someone's wearing a wig and stuff. So no. it, it fits in. Thank God. And they is, can it, is it like the, the game, which I have read, is the point of... You have to neg a woman. No, have no, no. It, it really I is... have read the game. It's interesting to know what the enemy was thinking when I was a single woman. I thought I should know. Uh, like, can I ask you a bit? Because I've not read it, but I feel like I oh, know Oh, I know. It. Yes. What was the bits about it that most were shocking to you well if Robin was trying to uh, uh, to, to, to attract Josie and I he should neg us so what you should say is things like that look like subtle negs like those shoes look really comfortable oh that's good um, I, or like I like <laughs> I know how you do it you go Robin that cardigan's really nice I've seen lots of really Look, fit men wearing well, cardigans yeah, like that it. oh I see and then yeah. it seems like you're not fit yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's an insult but you think it's a compliment and then you're like Oh, I'm oh, I'm in love with them. You... I'm not going to read this book. I think. I think. I think. I'll, I'll, <laughs> Philip, Wild Oaks wife. by Philip Larkin is probably quite you... enough for me to deal with this particular I mean, scenario. I, I mentioned this to my boyfriend, and he didn't understand why those shoes looked really comfortable. Was an insult because he's like, I like comfortable shoes. It's like yeah. yes, but if you're a uh, forget yeah. about oh, my it. My shoes are very comfortable, so I'm done for. And yes, that is, it's all about it's all about negging. It's all about negging. I'll try then. 
Josie. Yeah. Is that a new glass eye? <laughs> Is that a good one? Does that work? The That's pretty good. Brilliant. Um, very quickly, because we nearly run out of time. I wanted to, about history, which has, I, I went to Reading Jail uh, a oh, few yes. weeks ago. Yeah. Now, this incredible, uh, basically, they opened up the jail because it was, it was shut down, I think, three years ago. And, uh, you know, obviously, there's Wild Cell there and there were there were paintings. Uh, Marlene, I think it's Marlene Dumas, Dumas, I'm not sure. She did a fantastic big painting of him and John Genet and stuff. And then there were different letters you could listen to in certain cells. It's very, you know, it's interesting it's anyway as a prison. I think it's very good, yeah. Um, and we should talk about things that the prison radio service has been doing on another day. We won't do it today. But there was this fascinating, very lengthy letter by two soldiers who had killed an, an MP in, I think, 1915. They had, or it might be later, that might be 1918. Two soldiers killed an yeah, MP? Yeah, they, they had fought in the First World War. They were both, they, they, their parents were Irish, and this was part of, you know, basically the war between yes. um, uh, Ireland and uh, and I suppose predominantly England. Um, and I, as I listened to this letter being read, I thought this is a part of history which doesn't seem to be told, considering it's very recent. Mm. Why do we know, in, in terms of our what, in terms of humdrum knowledge, is very limited amongst people in of England. what what our relationship? Yeah, in England, exactly. That I know we don't really about know. I know nothing really. Like, I know bits and bobs that I've, like, gleaned, but you're right, I was never taught about it. And I was never taught about Anglo-Irish history in the 20th century. Even at school, there was no... You know, even when people would be like, oh, the IRA, blah, 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 like when I was in the 80s or 90s, like, nobody would have then elucidate in any way what was going on, what that meant. And we often forget, I, I, Constance Markavievitz, I can't always pronounce the name correctly, was our first female MP. She was for Sinn Féin, but didn't take a seat. We always think about Astor and yeah. the suffragettes, but she, she was the first one. Wow. So is there any of the final question? Would you, in terms of the novels that you're writing, the ideas that you're working on, are you sometimes drawn to something where you think, you know what, I would like more people to know about this. And if they read the novel... Do you then hope that people will go towards the non-fiction as well? That that reading a, a fictionalised version of someone's life is the opening point to I, then. I think as a historian, you always want that underexplored area. That's what you want. You want the people, those letters that no one else has seen, that no one else has used. That's what you always want, and that's what I always try and do. And I was fascinated with these last my trilogy of novels, which the next one is out next year, final one, about the lives of Germans uh, during World War One, because we forget that there were so many here and they were such a part of the community and yet overnight they're hated and they have to try and find a way of fitting into British society because they can't escape. They don't fit in at home and they don't fit in here. So for me... The, the the history the history that we want to explore is the underexplored history is the secret history and even in an area such as World War One which we feel we know a lot about there's still huge amounts of material that we that we don't know about and really relevant I think now given kind of the current the horrific amount of xenophobia that's been the, about the, the Brexit the, the, and the, stuff the, like the, that how how racism is is created and you I mean <laughs> you you think and you think about people like Lord Haw Haw, who was who broadcast the the uh, pro pro in the Second World War, the pro German broadcasts, and uh, his imprisonment, his execution. Uh, but you think in the end, in, in retrospect, he's a kind of harmless guy. I mean, he's obviously an idiot, but no one really believed him. I mean, but, but I don't know how harmless but, but, it is. But, they, he but genuinely was. I, I agree, but I think but some paid of, by some, Hitler. Oh, I absolutely agree, but I think some of the spies who actually were selling selling secrets and got away with it some of the cambridge spies who who, yeah. who who were just 
who were just let 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 out to live a retired life in the country. There's is there's, that money? Is that basically? All I think money? I think that, I think the class system did have an impact because he hadn't really got much protection. Well, then I always think of the Mitfords because like I love the Mitfords. Yeah, the Mitfords. But then unity. Half of know, them, unity. you know, that's and, yeah, they're and, a Nazi. Oh, yeah, cool. And Di- yeah, Diana. Diana was in Holloway, and you got a little little cottage because she's seen as a posh prisoner, and uh, where two sex offenders were their housekeepers, and they grew wild strawberries. <laughs> oh, quick question then on Unity Mitford. I saw some footage of her being taken to hospital after because she she put a gun to her head, yeah, didn't she? she? Did. But it looks like she almost entirely missed because <laughs> as she was being taken out, there was no kind of there was almost uh. no but I just wonder if you knew whether she did miss her her own head predominantly or not I think it, I think I would agree that it probably was a cry for help it was a suicide attempt there was a cry for help which apparently female suicide attempts often are more likely to be a cry for help there are arguments that Sylvia Plath was just tr- hoping that she'd be discovered that actually it was a cry but I think I think it was it probably was as you say a dramatic cry for help but certainly uh, it, in technical terms, guns in those time were much less easy to to, to manoeuvre than ours. I mean, ours you can hold it and it will shoot, but the, the power of the, what do you call it? Yeah, the don't kickback. give a guide. Don't give a guide. The, the ki- give a warning. The kind of kick. Probably cut all the kickback. But I'll tell you my my funniest uh, law. I think what, what I what I find hilarious about history is some of the crazy laws in history. So one of my favourites is that um, in Ohio it is illegal to get a fish drunk. That's quite good. And it's also in California, it is still illegal to eat an orange in the bath. I told you, that's why. why? I hope you've never done this, Josie. Josie and me are still on the run, aren't we? Still on the run. And and it's illegal um, to put... To eat a mince pie on Christmas Day, so I hope neither of you have ever engaged in that sort it's of activity. To eat a mince pie on Christmas because Day. Oliver Cromwell ban- banned Christmas, and, and one of the they never got that out. And my, I think my favourite was in World War One, in which Lloyd George said uh, there are three enemies in Britain: Germany, Austria, and drink. And the worst of those is drink. And so what he th- and he was particularly concerned by the working classes' horrors buying each other rounds. <laughs> so what he thought he would do, and also women, because these women were all working in the factories, and rather than working in the in the in the posh houses, so the women were apparently standing at the bar, queuing and chatting at the bar. They were complaining letters saying that all these women, female workers, were chatting at the bar. So Lloyd George was trying to stop this drunken nurse and pubs. So he brought in this law that you couldn't buy rounds; that you could only buy yourself a drink. And that so, if you were caught oh buying someone God. else a drink in the First World War, you, the barmaid. And the drinker would be fined. And if you couldn't pay the fine, you could possibly be arrested. And I think perhaps that's one of the craziest laws in British history. And uh, but it's funny because I tweeted it. I said, isn't this law that you can only buy yourself a drink the stupidest law in history? And loads of my followers said, that's amazing. Is that still in the statute book? I'm so bored of buying rounds of my workmates. Ungenerous. But, But I want it back. But it is off. That right, one. we better end there because we've overrun. Uh, Kate, thank you very thank much. You so much. Uh, and uh, I, by the time this goes out, I think Costa will probably uh, a lot of that will have been announced, but we won't say anything more now. So go and look at the website, and uh, you will find out which books. Uh, well, you chaired and wrangled people towards uh, for the Costa Book Prize. All right, Josie. Thank you very much to all our Patreon and PayPal supporters. This week, we'd like to specifically thank these Patreon supporters. They are Keith Hayworth, John Matthews, John Parkin, John Bork, Mark Wilson, Darren Williams, John Connolly and Michaela Purcell. And the winner of the Box of Books this week is Barry Hodges.
Congratulations and thanks for your support to Barry. If you email us at contact at cosmicgenome.com, we can get your prize out to you. And if you missed our announcement at the start because you just skipped over all of that, next week the Cosmic Shambles Network will be going live on February 2nd, which is where you'll find all the new episodes of Book Shambles plus lots of other podcasts and web series and documentaries and live events and articles and blogs and all sorts of stuff. So go to CosmicShambles.com, sign up to the mailing list and check that out. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. (laughs) 